Welcome back, everybody. This episode is part two of Hero with a Thousand Potions' coverage of Xenoblade Chronicles Chapter 5, where Shulk, Ryan, and Fiora plumb the depths of the ether mines below Colony 6. We have just entered the central pit, home to the mines' titanic drilling machine, and also where we expect to find the remaining members of the Colony 6 militia. If you're just joining us, I recommend you turn back and join us for part one. Otherwise, if you've just wrapped up part one, or if narrative continuity is unimportant to you, welcome! Okay, so you know, we're in here. This is a machine, by all means. So we've got a machine present on biological world, right? And this is the machine on which the Homs have built an entire culture, uh, colony, business, capitalism, etc. I, I, I kind of think like this is a mechanical object that is drilling down into every everything we walk in the caves the land the the waterfalls everything is part of a living being's body and we have this giant drill drilling all the way down to the point where if you look all the way down you can see a pool of green energy that is being feasibly this is what they're harvesting it is the ether mines we already know that so why is it that the denizens living on Bionis have an object that is meant to harvest? I don't know if ether is Bionis's lifeblood, right? But I'm going to go there. We're harvesting the lifeblood of the very planet we're living on to consume it for economic means. I, that's the message I'm seeing for this. A little bit more serious than robot penis, but... Colony Six that, was a proto Midgar, proto Midgar, late stage capitalism. Uh, to me, the implications of it are kind of harrowing because w the the Homs are supposed to, you know, the Homs are pro Bionis. We all live here. The Mechons are coming from Mechonis. They're the bad guys, etc. But it's it's not that clear cut for me anymore. If, if their entire society was based upon operating and managing this thing, then that's that's pretty dicey. So, as we explore this place, I'm going to say that this is the first real impressive dungeon in this RPG. That I, I'm going to say it, it feels like a dungeon, it plays like a dungeon. There's all sorts of branching paths, places to explore, scenery, uh, a lot of views that inform you uh, of a deeper narrative of a story while just straight up fighting there's not a lot of dialogue there's not a lot of exposition on this whole thing we i don't know how long you spent i'd say i spent a good 45 minutes to an hour playing through this place and the tefra cave is technically probably the game's first dungeon but this was the one that really hit home for me as the first great dungeon uh it's definitely a takahashi dungeon because it, all the good Dungeons of Xenogears and Xenosaga past, I feel, uh, informed this one of being a similarly interesting progression. There's elevators that you have to choose. Am I going up? Am I going down? Am I going to go on the side path? Am I going to go where this arm extends out? And I've got a little rotating blade I'm riding on. Am I going to hop off the blade to explore this area or keep going ahead? All sorts of little interesting decisions to make here. When we arrive at the drill, we're about near the top, and we descend to the bottom by the elevators, by the platforms, by the rotating fans, and we're, we're, we're essentially crawling all around it. The, the, the drill 
uh, provides us a lot of neat, moving, mechanical features of a dungeon that you might otherwise just be walking around in um, in a normal pathing. But but the way in which they've integrated um, the scaffolding and the mechanisms that require manipulating this drill to harvest this ether, this ether stone stuff, it's a really, really neat, immersive dungeon experience. I, I, I personally love it, as I said before. And we previously complained about being a little bit over-leveled. I actually encountered some tougher fights here. Not, they didn't make me uh, retry them or anything. I didn't die. But they there were some elite characters, again, as I'll put them, that gave me a little bit of challenge and had those health pools dipping into the red at times. Uh, maybe I'm getting a little tired at this point in my playthrough because I kept forgetting to enchant my party to fight Mecha at various points, and then I'd have to remember, oh right, yes, I gotta I got cast that spell at the beginning of every fight. So, I out in Garplane, you don't need to do that, but here, you definitely do. And, um, at one point in one of the tougher fights, Shulk is nearly killed by a strong enemy attack, and Sharla delivers a clutch heal. Now that's a esports term that you and I are both very familiar with. The clutch heal. It'll probably get you on the scoreboard or accolades at the end of the match. Uh, Shulk thanks her for the clutch heal. And uh, Ryan, in response, Ryan full health, he says, Yeah, but what about me? You don't need a heal, Ryan. <laughs> he just wants Sharla's attention. And... Uh, my my response would be, maybe if you were tanking better, you would be the one that needed the heals, Ryan. Because I'm taking a shitload of damage as Shulk here. Also, uh, as I'm exploring and I'm compelled to explore every little nook and cranny, I am... I feel like this is a, a symptom of more modern RPG games. They, they struggle with gear, treasures, loot a little bit, uh, because all we're really finding is ether deposits, which we use for materials to make gems. That's cool, but nothing really stands out as super compelling or like it has that, that hit of like, oh my god, I just found this amazing thing. And the reason for that is the game's always dropping loot on you. You're always, you're, you'll fight a bat and it'll have like three new uh, sword shield things for Ryan in his inventory. This little critter had three of those in his pocket. And uh, then you'll you'll fight two bunnets and uh, they're carrying a big gun for Sharla. And so they're always showering you in loot, so it makes it hard for like a branching path in a dungeon to have something really special in it. Uh, it's more so reminiscent of Diablo than kind of our formative 90s RPGs, in my opinion. It, it becomes kind of noise. Loot and treasure becomes just a little bit overwhelming to the point where I don't care about any of it. I just care about exploring the map in its uh, entirety. I, I think uh, if you remember in Final Fantasy VII, you, you'd take like a branching path on Nibelheim uh, Mountain kind of halfway through the game. And there was, there was a weapon for Cloud and there was a weapon for Vincent in that area that you could pick up. And both of them had like a unique property to them that was different than any other weapon. I can't name what it was, but it was something definitely unique about them. I think maybe they had like a death blow raid or something to them i don't know but when you went off that path and you found that little treasure chest and opened that and you found out there's a 
there's a whole new weapon there, and weapons are more sparse, and they're more specialized in this game. That felt good to open that treasure chest and get that item that felt special. So that's kind of my contrast of um, games I enjoy that have dungeons that really incentivize you to explore everything. Whereas this game, I'm having a fun time exploring this dungeon just because A, it's fun to see everything and get all the different perspectives on the area and the drill and because I'm a completionist, not because I'm anticipating something awesome in one of these nooks and crannies. So yeah, we we progress through the drill again. I love love this dungeon. We finally get to the bottom and as we get to the bottom, you have clear view of several pincers at the the bottom of the drill, almost like this thing could get up and walk itself if it were topside. And uh, they're attached to the bottom tip of the giant drill. The design on the pincers, it feels a little mechon to me. They've got kind of, I don't know how to say it, they've, they've got a little bit of ornate decoration to them, just slightly. It's feels too mechon. elegant. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's just my last observation before we kind of get into the next scene. All right. And in the next scene, guess what? Guess what we get, Tyler? What do we get? We get our first crucifixion of the game oh yes yes <laughs> i i have to say like that moment in xenogears where they you just you find the entire party strung up on crosses and right there it, we've joked about it before on this podcast i'm sure but we find choo-choo strung up to a cross It is so distracting, so hilarious, yet maybe offensive. I don't know. I wasn't personally offended by it, but uh, who knows? And the very first thing, I just paused the game, and I sent you a text on Facebook or whatever chat we were using at the time. I sent you a text. I says, they fucking crucified (laughs) Choo-Choo. But at this time, so, it's not choo-choo, it's juju. Juju descends yeah. into the area. He's unconscious. He's in the Jesus Christ pose. And he's inside a prism of electric pink beams of light. But you can see his hands are dangling. He is attached at the wrist. The same <laughs> same way. You know, he's not. It's not like an energy field is holding him in a T-pose comfortably or whatever. He is dangling from the wrists and the feet. So I'm I'm going with a, another reference here from Takahashi-san. Anyway, so with that, uh, w- we get introduced to mysterious faces there. He's just as menacing as ever. He is spouting off his typical talk of, you know, lured into the trap, he's hungry, he's going to eat everybody. But we get... Uh, uh, we get some deconfirmation of something I talked about before, is that Mysterious Face is actually Zord. I'm Zord, your host tonight. You know, I said canonically Metal Face's actual birth name is Metal Face. There's some, there's some question thrown under that now. I don't know that it's canon anymore. It was for a whole chapter for me, and I enjoyed that. But we now know that Mysterious Face is Zord, but he does not re- reveal the face 
That's wrong. He does not reveal the name of Metal Face to us, only his own. Um, but he also reveals that Gadot is dead. He was eaten because he got hungry. Now, again, the rule of if I don't see it, it didn't happen is still in effect here. But this is a pretty strong, strong confirmation that maybe we don't see Gatto. Uh, what's your take on it? It's hard to say, but um, I'm going to bring you backwards for just a minute here. And the quote, the I am Zord quote is there's some analysis we should do on the way in which this is said, because he says, I'm Zord, your host tonight. And then someone says, oh, you have a name. And he goes, they call me Zord. That's what they all say. Can't say I remember it myself. So they, I don't know if they're Mechons. I don't know if they're other things that are in alliance with the Mechons. Some group of things are calling him Zord, and he doesn't remember that his name is Zord, or if it is Zord. What the heck is that all about? That is the first kind of peeling back of the onion. It's the first moment we're getting a little bit more in this chapter. We will get more into this later in this very episode, but as I talk to you about it, um, I'll give a general sense of what's happening here. To me, this was the Sephiroth in the Shinra building moment where in Final Fantasy VII, you had this idea of how everything was going to play out. You're taking out reactors, you're fighting Shinra, so you have a reactor episode. And then you have a kind of, you know, scrapping it out in the slums episode. You got a reactor episode, slums, etc. Right? And that's how the game's going to play out. At least that was me in my little kid brain. Mm -hmm. Then... Everything changes when you walk into the president's main office in the Shinra building and he's got Sephiroth's sword in his back. The, the main bad guy, the main antagonist that you thought was the source of all your problems is now dead. And you're still only on disc one. And you're thinking, all right, so this Sephiroth guy, he's a good guy. He just killed the, the bad guy, right? And again, you got to put yourself in the mindset of I'm 10 in digesting the story. And uh, then the president's son shows up. And so it's like, oh, he's the new bad guy. But still, this this moment in Final Fantasy VII shook up the entire status quo and was what hooked me in RPGs that they weren't formulaic, just by the numbers uh experiences where you knew what was going to happen at the very start there was some moving targets and some shifting themes here and so i think this admission by zord is the first real nugget we're getting of that same experience of there's something much much deeper going on here because yes he's a scene chewing menacing evil figure that just wants to eat humans but Maybe he wasn't always that way, and maybe he doesn't want to be that way because he was once something else that he cannot remember. We get a callback to the Touch the Monado scene from Chapter 1 when Sharla, who is now enraged on the thought that Gato is gone for good, she says the quote we heard in that scene. I swear I won't stop until I've scrapped each and every one of you! and begins one-shotting smaller Mechon after Mechon with her ether rifle. Uh, Atheron watches from a some crow's nest uh, as well at this point. And we fight him again. There's a new mechanic. We inflict break during a chain attack. Large monsters resist break arts 
conventionally, but they cannot, but they do not have that defense against break during chain attack. Um, I, another note here during this fight, what the heck is he saying? His, he's sounding more garbled, more deranged, and very inarticulate. The, the audio between his cutscene audio and his combat audio, we'll see him in another combat situation again soon. And his audio is so much worse when he's in combat. It's like, if you've ever done that effect where, like, you record somebody's voice coming out of an amp, and then you use that as the recording of their voice and not a a straight mic recording, uh, that's what it sounds to me. There's a lot of distortion and, uh, what's the word? What's I don't the know. Word? I can't... Overdriven. That sounds like a word. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a word. I again, music people. I I I pimped this podcast out to a friend of mine who's a music uh, fan, and uh, he's probably going to be like, "God, you're such an idiot. You don't even know what you're talking about." <laughs> and, and in the back of the room, my wife was playing Valorant at the moment, and just uh, I I had to wonder, like, she's got to be sitting there wondering what the hell is going on on his TV right now. Because it's just, I, I don't even know what's going on. And I'm the one looking at the thing, playing the game. You can cut that if it sounds terrible, but it's just like, I, I was so taken aback by how terrible he sounds outside of the cutscene. Right. And, and by terrible, I would say like uh, characteristic and stylish in, in a dramatic, disturbing, unpleasant, like, like um, deliberately unpleasant in a stylish manner sort of way excuse me shulk remembers ryan saying if you see a vision you don't like we can change the future together got it and then we see authoron he leaps into a mech it looks kind of like the mech that fiora was in in chapter two he smashes mysterious face into the center pillar and and now Mysterious Face is sliding into the Ether River. I don't think we set the scene properly, but like um, below the scaffolding where all of this fighting is taking place, below the the, the drill is this running river of of Ether. It's green. It's glowing. It's 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 sci-fi awesomeness. And someone shouts, "Fall, you damn machine!" And he begins falling. But then Authoron starts falling too. And Shulk is seeing that this Death Vision is coming true again. Does Shulk hop into another mech? Yeah, there's another like uh, pulley mech. Okay, it's a different one than. Um, yeah, so again, you kind of said we failed to set this scene. We kind of hinted at it in the initial flash forward that there's a green pool that uh, Othoran is hanging over. And then we talked about the green pool when we first uh, talked about it getting introduced to the drill, that that's what's all the way at the bottom. So put all those pieces together. We are now here in this moment of Othoran. Uh, the vision that Shulk had of him falling. We're we're right in the thick of it. Shulk's feeling it. So Shulk's going to change it. Othan is in the mech, hanging on for dear life, while uh, Zord is hanging on to Othan. So what he's going to do, he's going to shoot him in the face to get him to fall, to kind of finish this. It's going to be his last sacrifice, right? And Shulk, uh, he's, again, Shulk's kind of didn't listen to his friends because he's just going it alone. 
He, he didn't say, hey, Ryan, I need your help with this. Hey, guys, focus on this. You know, he's just going it alone. He got in another mech that has a giant pulley that latches onto a Theron's mech as well. And it, it's, it's pulling him up, but it's just not going to work. A Theron is still going to fall out of his mech in order to sacrifice himself to get Zord to truly fall down and not take everyone else down with him. And the the moment that is different is not one of Shulk's doing, but it is one of Ryan's. Ryan, sensing that Shulk is in the thick of one of his vision fulfillment uh, epiphanies, I don't know what you want to call it, but Ryan steps in and he says, I'm going to help as well. I haven't seen the vision. I don't. I don't specifically know the moment, but Ryan mentions that he knows enough to know that this is, you know, all the pieces are kind of coming together about what Shulk said. So he steps in and it's actually Ryan that is able to change the vision and grab a Theron from the pit. Yes. And Atheron has kind things to say about that. I stand corrected, young man. You've done a great deed today. Atheron gives Sharla Godot's ether rifle. He holds it against her and closes her eyes. They're ready to go back to camp. They take a freight elevator out of the mine. It's one of those oblique ones that elevate at an angle. They're going up at like a 45 degree. And it grinds to a halt. What happened? Well, he's back. It's Mysterious Face again, but now he's glowing with green smoke and his sheen, like his metal, his shiny metal sheen is all tarnished and kind of burnt. And mm -hmm. we fight him again. Yeah. the He wheezes like Darth Vader. Desperate, deranged, yeah. and the and again the 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 voiceover is totally peaking and well overdriven. It's overdriven. Yeah, and his the note I have is it's obvious that his his impenetrable armor is eroded from the ether, and that this fight is going to be more of a straightforward boss fight than requiring. I kind of knew even before it started, it's not going to require any special gimmick to kind of break through anything it's just going to be a one and done and i completely obliterated him like he did not even damage anybody in my party at this point so uh that was kind of interesting to me so ether has some component like th these guys are impenetrable to the monado and the monado can't cut them but ether just in its raw uh, form pulled straight from Bionis has the ability to break down these components that of these seemingly invincible machines. I noticed that Juju is in our party and I remembered that Juju exists <laughs> because this whole thing was about a saving a Theron. I also realized, hey, we were here to save Juju as well, and that's cool. So uh good news for juju that somebody recognized that he was uh important to the plot because i did not we have taken him off his electric cross yes when we defeat him he has some very interesting things to share with us because you handed to you you beat me without even releasing the true power of the monado true power what do you know about the Monado? Sorry, boy. I can't tell you that. You'll have to find out the truth on your own. The truth? When I became what you see now, 
That's where my eyes were opened. It was a good ride while it lasted. When I became... That's the word I'm going to highlight here. Became. So, when I became what you see now, that's when my eyes were opened. He mentioned that he was something else. Something he's forgotten before becoming a faced mechon. But he declines to give Shulk any real answers because that would be too easy. He falls down the pit and explodes, and we race out of the mines into a field, uh, just in time to get away from the, from the explosion. So, Tyler, with that quote, where are you, where's your head at with the became what you see now, his eyes were opened? I don't know. He was something else. I wonder what else. There are all kinds of creatures on these uh, titanic structures that we haven't seen or met yet. I don't know if he could have been a, uh, a different variation of of Mechon. I don't know if he's a Nopon in disguise. I don't know if he embodies the spirit of Mechonis um, in some sort of inverted hive mind form. Um, I really couldn't say. I'm, I'm going to step back here and talk about something we were previously talking about. We were talking about we don't know if Gadot's dead or not, right? Uh-huh. And we're, we're being led into a place of he's still alive. I think that uh, we're, Charlotte's going to go through a period of um, grieving, acceptance, etc. Then, uh, you know, and, and I didn't get to see the scene with Ryan, so I don't know how this is all going to play out, but there's going to be a period of grieving and acceptance, and then there's going to be chemistry with with at least one of our party members where Charlotte moves on. And just as she's about ready to... We are going to meet another Zord-like figure with the voice, a, a highly distorted voice of Ghetto that only Sharla can recognize. What do you think about that? Yeah, that, that could happen. Why not? That's that's my theory. And again, you know, you, you choose whether you believe me on this or not. This is a blind playthrough, but I will be, either be horribly wrong and all the Xenoblade fans out there will just laugh at me right now in this moment. Or they're going to say, yeah, he's cheating. He's read the plot because that's exactly what happens. <laughs> they're dragging I don't know. him up for some, for some kind of reveal. I don't think he's dead. Yeah. I don't think he's dead. I think, if he was I think dead, a, he wouldn't come up in conversation four times. Yeah, and he's just, it's too much of a, like, it, this. I've been down this road so many times in uh, anime, so it's, it's too easy. Sure, it's, sure. It's an opportunity for intense drama. You don't pass up that opportunity mm-hmm. often. Oh, and so I have a note here back in the mines that there's a heart-to-heart in what looks to be like a, a miner's bedroom or quarters or whatever. It's with Shulk and Sharla if they have a purple smiley cloud affinity together. So they have to be really close. This is a way down the line. I don't know what this could mean that in the bedroom we have purple smile cloud, right? But I'm now investigating the affinity system a little bit closer than I have cared to before. And I know there's a final heart eyes, heart emoji affinity level at the very end. Oh, there is? Well, that's and I'm Yeah, and I'm wondering, this is one that is possible between Shulk and Sharla. Now, this is a freedom afforded to players of Fire Emblem Awakening that you could literally match up whoever the hell you want to. You could take 
the most oddball characters and match them up for the most part there's there's some limitations right but most for most cases if it's man and woman you can match them up and make a couple out of them so that they can bear a child and i we were talking previously about their setting up ryan and charla to be a thing but it's like now i'm kind of wondering can you match up anybody is the the heart eyes emoji the red uh seemingly romantic heart eyes emoji is that just a, a nice little uh i don't know what the word is hint like a, a ui element that doesn't really play out in the story that much or can we actually choose who we match up in our party like a little dating sim within the game that's gonna be interesting to find out i don't know but you better answer those questions correctly yeah god yeah i don't i've been doing great so far but man charla i've never met her before this she's she's new to our group so mm, right. we'll have to see so we emerge from the mines and that about does it it's uh you know it's been a long day in colony six and a little bit of question beforehand and we're about ready to to relax and you know call it a, call it a day we rescued Atheron, we rescued juju from his jesus christ post and uh it's about time to just you know you know wrap it up end, end of chapter five end it's of been chapter five. great it's been a great recording with you tyler it has been yep thank you record scratch surprise everybody it's him it's metal face and he is just as we were mentioning him and our next objective to still chase after the shiny bastard speak of the devil he's right there behind you just like your boss at work when you're talking shit about him and turns out he was standing behind you the whole time uh there he is metal face is here and he has an army of what i can only call our zord likes in tow so we met zord previously now i'm seeing three four five of exact replicas of zord so we just went through absolute hell to dispatch this thing and there's they're coming out of the factory left and right so we've already amped up the stakes uh exponentially here that metal face is in command of multiple versions of this menacing figure that we just uh struggled against it's definitely an overwhelming force. There are more Mechon. There's more minion Mechons fluttering about the area. Ground ones. Uh, little air droid Mechon. And uh, Metal Face talks. Pathetic. After all that talk, Zord was crushed by worthless maggots like you. Oh, this one can talk and all. I can talk all right. And I got a good memory. Fiora! Get out of there! Get out! Screams <laughs> were music to my ears. My claws slid right through her soft flesh. Like a hot knife through butter! <laughs> he declined to last time we saw him but now that zord established for us that the <laughs> proved us wrong we said we're not going to get any talking mech on and then immediately we're slapped in the face by the game with the 
talkiest of talking Mechon. Uh, Metal Face is ready to share some thoughts with us too. And I would say the most pertinent thing he said is, to me is, I can talk and I got a good memory. And he starts uh, quoting Shulk, saying, Fiora, get out! And uh, he's taunting us that, yes, he killed Fiora, he remembers it well, and he enjoyed it. Not only does he talk, he talks shit. Yes, exactly. And he talks like shit. So we were just talking about how in the cutscene, in the cutscene, uh, Zord sounded all right. He had distortion to him, but in combat, he sounded terrible. I, I just Metal Face's voice is grating and terrible to me. And I, I just want the scene to be over. I, I do want the developments and the exposition and everything, but he just sucks. Zord had a better voiceover. Um, it's it's mean, nasty, metallic-y bad guy, but Zord, Zord was very next level, and uh, Metal Face, uh, not so much. Yeah. Metal Face reminds us that the Monado won't work on him, and who shows up but Dixon? Dixon, from a vantage point from far away, he's got his shotgun sniper rifle blade thing and he fires the shot and it dis and it disrupts the cast or it deflects the energy ball something like that our party is saved and dunbin's there too and dunbin races down the cliff he's perched there next to next to dixon i guess and he slays a couple uh regular mechons and he says he has that cool anime warrior good guy phrase that you called out in chapter I think it was chapter one, actually. This time he says, sorry to have kept you. Looks like we were just in time. Yeah, and we talked about this. I, I said there's some validation of something I said earlier. You know, you were looking for an example. I said it. it's a thing. Trust me, Tyler. And I, I gave you one or two other examples, but I said, you know, if, if we were to absorb all of anime into our brains at once, we would find thousands of instances of this phrase. And wouldn't you know, they gave us yet another one in the self-same game with the self-same character. Yes. Uh, we engage in a fight. Dixon and Dunbin join the party. I switch out Sharla and Ryan for Dunbin and Dixon immediately. I, I noticed that Dixon has three levels on Shulk right now. I did not switch them. I, I feel like it's very hard for me when I've built up a rhythm of... Especially with the dichotomy of I've got like a, a roguish backstabber, a tank, and a healer. That just feels right. And I don't know what roles Dixon and Dunbin occupy too. I don't even know what this fight is going to be. If it's just one of those like obligatory story fights where you have to lose it. Or if it's going to be super easy. So I, in my perspective, I put my best foot forward here by keeping my original balanced party. We fight a wave of normal Mechon while Metal Face and company kind of watch in a distance. Afterwards, we get a cutscene. Dixon tries to shoot at Metal Face. It's blocked. Dunbin takes a swipe at, at Metal Face. It's also blocked. And he tells, he says, Dunbin, how does it feel to be such a failed hero? The, oh, now is the ball of energy. Okay, so earlier a death blow type attack was coming down to our party and that's what Dixon fires at and deflects. Now, after the fight, the killing blow is a green ball of energy that Metal Face is summoning. 
The camera changes to flight vision, and I don't mean like a vision vision, I, although there are all kinds of visions in this game. We are now mm -hmm. like occupying the point of view of some sort of like a like as if we're in a cockpit of an airplane or some other some kind of yeah. flying thing. Yes, yes. We have a little bit of a I don't it's not a complete Deus Ex moment because it doesn't fully deliver us from the the jaws of defeat. It doesn't resolve the entire plot of everything we're dealing with, but it's got a little sprinkling of that. We have a a, a godlike figure almost, an angelic uh, being from above. It's got glowing wings. And it's it, it's it doesn't necessarily look like a bird. It doesn't look like a traditional fantasy dragon. Maybe it's a little bit of both from what we're glimpsing. I can't. It, it looks more organic, but I can't tell if there's mechanical elements to it. But uh, Metalface responds with a Telethia when this being rains uh, energy down upon the mechons. Yeah, it's saving like our green party. lightning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, during the distraction, Shulk does another Shadow the Colossus onto Metal Face and swings and presses the Monado against uh, Metal Face's side. It's burning him. Um, it's, it's he's not slashing or you know chopping. He's just pressing the the energy blade against the the body of it, and and the metal is warming up. It's 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 glowing red. It's dealing. It's it's causing him pain. While this is taking place, we get assaulted by several visions at once. It's very much like the touch the monado scene in chapter one. We must be outside the tower. Welcome, true heir to the Monado. Father! Weak, weak and pathetic. What or who are you? You will pay for what you've done. You will know the pain and suffering you caused the Emperor and Fiora! So in the vision, we have a, a, the sight of a tower with Shulk and another figure standing before it, mentioning it by, not by name, but by uh, description of a tower. Uh, mysterious regal figures accompanied by us and by Dunbin. They're, they're clothed in what I would consider royalty robes uh fantasy rpg royalty so lots of decorative elements hooded uh, helms uh cloaks uh there's a there's a girl that looks a little bit like the uh, kind of like a half made half princess trope you've seen a lot of this in uh japanese anime rpgs mm -hmm. etc and uh we we are they seem to be beset by enemy forces from what I can see. The The flashes are vague and quick, but it seems like we're protecting them, accompanying them in some sort of situation filled with strife. It's it's not like we're just hanging out, having a nice chat. There's something happening during this scene. Then the scene switches to Shulk wielding a giant Monado blade. Uh, it's longer, might be a different color than the typical blue. I, I feel like... 
it might be the distortion of the vision, but I feel like I'm seeing more of a purple-ish color. Otherwise, uh, yeah, he takes on Metal Face with this sword, and it seems like he's pushing him back and actually getting the edge uh, against Metal Face. And uh, the the quote is, um, this is for the, all the pain and suffering you caused the Emperor and Fiora. Now, we know who Fiora is, and we know how she was wronged. I do not know of an emperor yet, and I do not know how he's wrong. We also glimpse this large, godlike entity. He kind of looks like he's coming out of a wall, or like installed into it. He has these black eyes, long, white hair, long beard. His skin is white, too. He's almost stone-like. Yeah, and there's one other flash of something that, like a Xenogears gear, with its cockpit open and a young woman uh, with, like, more gear-like armor on in the cockpit. The closest thing that I could possibly point to is Ellie in her uh, bunny gear with the cockpit open. Just if you are familiar with that from Xenogears, mm-hmm. picture that and then kind of update it to more of a uh, Xenoblade-esque design. And that's the closest thing that I can describe to what I got a quick glimpse of. And, you know, obviously I have no answers of what that is. Just kind of thinking, okay, there's maybe an element of, uh, you know, there's Mechon in this world, but there are also Homs that have learned to utilize Mechon-like technology or pilot a Mechon, so to speak, because that's what I felt like I saw. When the vision ends... Metal Face slaps Shulk away, and he flees, and as is everybody else, and we are left to pick up the pieces. Metal Face flies off, and the boys give chase to the end of the cliff you're on, and uh, Dunman screams at them that they need to know their limits. And the only thing I can think is, yes, the limit of being a human being and not a jet is very real. I do not know what Shulk and Ryan were anticipating they would do in that moment of just a a giant robot turned into a jet and flew off into the sky, what they thought they were going to do by running to the edge of that cliff, because they are very angry, and they fully intended to give chase. The final few shots of the chapter have us following that creature, the Telethia. It flies away in a different direction that the Mechons are going, and it lands on a perch where a young man is waiting for him. We get a close-up of this creature. It's like a... It's kind of dragon-like, but it has a crystalline sheen to it. It has a mouth or a snout-like hammer, the supplier from Xenogears, except Mm -hmm. he's shimmery and blue and crystal-like. And the boy kind of strokes its snout and says, You did well. And then asks it, what of the boy? And the thing kind of grunts and, you know, it doesn't speak, I guess. Well then, there's much to be done. You did well. But what of the boy? Ah. Well then, there is much to be done. Yeah, as for that description, I, I, I'm getting angelic dragon i'm gonna go with that yeah right? yeah i support uh, that and 
you, we're doing this as a blind playthrough, but there is something I have to mention here is uh, we also watched a recent Nintendo Direct where there was a... We're doing our absolute best to avoid spoilers and not... Uh, I, I've been told that, you know, back in the day I could have played Xenoblade Chronicles 2 without needing to play 1 at all because they, they're tertiarily related and they won't really spoil each other, etc., the ending shot from Xenoblade Chronicles 3's reveal seemed to have a giant shape of a head like this angelic dragon head. Did? I don't I remember thought. that. So in the final scene of the Xenoblade Chronicles 3 trailer, I'm seeing that snout-like shape, an opening mouth with sharp teeth, horns coming off the back of the mountain's head, and what looks to be like wings sprouting behind it. I, maybe you want to pull it up and take a look at this too. Maybe the series is more interconnected than I was originally told it was. I want to talk about this new character here. He fits the profile of the Shadow Man in, in the dream in Tefra Cave. Interesting. He's a young man, about as young as Shulk is. Clean shaven. His hair is gray or silver, huh. I think. Um, I'm going to go with silver. silver. It's not a... This is an anime thing, you know, Sephiroth, whatever. Silver hair is cool. It is not an indication of age or anything like that. Absolutely. We'll be hearing more of him. He seems powerful. He has befriended this other creature that has the power to repel um, a pretty hefty squad of mechons, including the principal antagonist, a mastermind character, some other, some guy with a special plot, a special scheme. Can't wait to find out what it is. I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more of him. Yeah, and uh, he... He comes off as a little bit younger than Shulk to me, but we've had trouble with identifying age in the past on these episodes so with with Shulk's 14-year-old vision and him still looking relatively old in that vision. Uh, so I'm not going to say he's young. And again, the voice actors also kind of throw a little bit of mystery in there because they have older voice actors in their appearance. The main thing I took away from this guy is with him watching over Shulk, wondering about his progress, potentially being the guy in the dream sequence. It's apparent that he's. this is probably going to be somebody that knows about the Monado, but also this, uh, this process that Shulk's on of discovering powers and learning to rely on others, this growth... I want to know what his involvement is and if he if he's happy with the progress we've made or it, when he looks at how, you know, we come up against the Mechon and the Mechon are saying, wow, you really don't know anything about this thing. If he's looking at us and like, wow, he's still struggling. He's only unlocked two special moves so far. He's only done this. Man, I'm going to need to step in and we're going to have to have a little uh, Yoda on Dagobah session with this guy. So that's that's it, and I feel like we have a lot of concepts to chew on, and we've kind of flipped the script a little bit. We have, and I'm getting tired of visions. I mean, this game is probably going to have them completely integral to the plot all the way up to the end, but there's so many visions. It's, it's at the crux of so many plot points. I'm just exhausted by them. This game should be titled Xeno Visions, Blade Visions divisionative ed vision <laughs> something like that yes uh this is not an actual prediction but i i would 
if this keeps going, we're going to have an entire Church of the Monado where uh, we've got hundreds of people lined up waiting to hear what the the prophet Shulk has to say. And then he says, all right, well, I got my vision and you all go do this. And it's all at the behest of the Monado. The Monado is the shot caller in this world. This has been a production of Hero with a Thousand Potions, recorded February 19th, 2022. We have an email, hero with a thousand potions at gmail.com. That's 1000 potions. We're also on Discord and Twitter with the handle Hero with a Thousand Pots. Join us next time for Chapter 6, where we will, I don't know, repopulate Colony 6, go climbing the cliffs of Bionis, um, finding where this Telethia and Mystery Man came from. I guess those are the. Uh, the breadcrumbs we can follow. And I'm going to let my eardrums recover from being vocally arrested by machines. I'm hearing dialogue in the background of your audio from another individual. Oh, really? Um, yes. It's not picking up in my OBS here. One okay. moment. One That's... moment. Because it's just... <laughs> and it's like... Enjoy, enjoy di- yeah. anyway it, you get the picture it the, sounds the voice overdriven. is i don't care if it's a technical yeah. term it sounds close yeah. your eyes picture and, what an overdriven robot monster giant sounds like all garbled it's overdriven like that where is this oh it was actually after metatheron that's weird that it's in the mines where the fuck is this note? Sorry, I'm creating more work for you. Huh. Let's. Uh, I'll see if I can pull. Let me. Let me pull it up quick. You can cut this whole segment if I'm being a moron. Us being and morons gonna, is what this is all about. Yeah, I'm gonna. gonna da, da, da. He's with an army of. I got the key. I just. I have ML. I, I got this. Damn I got this. Okay. okay. God damn it. It just looks like a big turban. Uh, uh. You're gonna throw that in there? No, I'm not. I, I mean, okay. I well, sure, why not? Would that would that be fun? Records don't scratch like that. Like, I, I actually like that you said record scratch. <laughs> <laughs> Should I say record scratch and then add the record scratch? Yeah, um, sure. I don't, know. I don't know. Either way, test it out, see how it flies. Okay, sure. You 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 let me when you do your proofing. You let me know. Yeah, as well, because sometimes my head is up my ass. <laughs> <laughs>